Well, it's great to welcome you this morning to uh, Alliance. I noticed, said this in the last service, that Amal is there on the drums and Mikhail back on the electric guitar, and I think that the Doss family is doing that, me, doing that to me on purpose. They were on the worship team last week and this week. Uh, many of you know that uh, Max is a professor, uh, has been a professor at ASU, and he's accepted a position at uh, Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff. I think that's going to be a little different climate uh, than here, uh, but they're just kind of waving the boys in front of me, uh, saying, uh, see, see the young men that they have become, and you're going to miss them. And I look down here, and I see Andrew Kelly. Stand up, Andrew. Stand up, Andrew. It's great to, great to see him back from Lancaster. Now, are Glenn and, Sha- are Glenn and Shaley here? Oh, is it next, next Sunday they're going to be here? Thank you, Doug. Um, I, th- I thought it was this Sunday. But, uh, so it's great to have you back, Andrew, back home where you belong. Yeah. Everybody tell him that after service. I mean, everybody to tell him that after service. Um, great to see people grow in, in, in grace and, and to grow to be a place where they can serve uh, us. Truth is, most of us are not the same people we were uh, when we were born. Thank God. From conception, life is a process of growing. As cute as infants are, if they remained infants, that would be annoying. Some of you have some people that are coming to mind right now. We generally expect people to mature. From birth, the teaching process begins. We expect children to listen, to learn, and to apply when to cry, when not to cry, to sit up, to speak, to crawl, to walk, to feed themselves. We hold out hope that eventually they will be potty trained and it won't take M&Ms. I have it on good authority that most of the time they make it by the time they're in high school. How to, how to play, how to share. We teach them the alphabet, we teach them numbers to read, to write. Whether you homeschool or you send them to private or public school, the teaching continues from preschool through grade school, middle school, high school, college, graduate school, and beyond because learning is a lifetime process. We, we don't expect our children to stay at a kindergarten level. Again, by high school, we expect them to be potty trained. We expect them to know how to share and, 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 and how to be polite, and we expect them to know how to do their homework and even clean their rooms. I know some of that takes some remedial training. The same is true when we were born again spiritually. There should be this process of learning and growing toward maturity. From the time of new birth, there should be, there should be this desire to grow, this insatiable desire to partake of the milk of the Word of God, to grow onto meat, and to grow more deeply in the things of Christ. Peter says it this way, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you can grow in respect to salvation. But now I want you to think about that with me for just a moment. Have you ever known immature Christians? And again, some faces are coming to mind. 
people who came to faith in Christ years ago, and it seems like they just never grew up? Have you ever been to churches which, which seemed a bit like giant nurseries filled with immature believers? It would be a bit embarrassing for some if they dressed according to their maturity, right? Diapers and little bonnets and onesies and, and pacifiers and, you know, booster seats sitting out there in the pews. You kind of get the picture. So let's get personal. If your spiritual growth were charted, I mean, we do that, don't we? We monitor the physical development of our children through those growth charts, you know, size and weight and their abilities and things like that. We monitor our children's mental and, and academic development. We, we're very serious about that. We test, you know, the top 20th percentile, the upper third, or the lower third. If we were to chart your spiritual development, where would you be? If we were intentional about spiritual growth. Now, don't misunderstand me. This is not meant to be a competition, but there is supposed to be this lifelong pursuit of growth. Why does, this, why does that not happen with so many who profess faith in Jesus Christ? Why? I came up with a list of possible reasons why. Number one, it might be that the new believer was never discipled. This is a chronic challenge for the church, seeing other people, I mean, seeing people come to faith in Christ, but never intentionally growing them beyond that, like we do, like, like we do newborns. Why don't we do that? They're never taught, they're never trained, they, they're left to flounder on their own, and through the years, the new believer remains a spiritual baby. Why? Number two, some go to churches where there is a great emphasis on evangelism, that's a good thing, great emphasis on new birth, but little emphasis on spiritual growth. It looks like this, the pastor preaches evangelistic sermons to the saved week after week, followed by an altar call, expecting the saved to get saved again by the 17th verse of Just As I Am, and people never grow, remaining spiritual babies. We've got to remember that the Great Commission is to make disciples. And we do that by our, by our going. As we go, wherever it is that we go, we evangelize, we see them saved and, and baptized, and then we teach them everything that the Lord commanded us. We've lost that somewhere. Third, others go to churches where there isn't even an emphasis on the Word of God at all. Maybe just a little homily and a little sermonette for Christianettes. Many churches have become social clubs where bazaars and dinner clubs and bingo and maybe, maybe even community service happens. But there is no intentional commitment to the Word. There's no intentional commitment to personal spiritual growth in the things of Christ. Fourth, it might be that the new believer never develop a taste for the pure milk of the Word. They, ne they never adopted the spiritual disciplines that are required to grow. 
I've actually been kind of thinking about this, thinking about doing, I'm not, I haven't decided yet, but I'm thinking about I might do a little series on spiritual disciplines, things like Bible study and prayer and fellowship and worship and, and, and solitude, fasting. We don't do those things and, and re- remain spiritual babies and wonder why, which leads to the next, next one. It might be that the person made a profession of faith, but there was no reality of saving life-transforming faith. Folks, I believe that our churches are filled with people who don't even understand the gospel, the, 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 the life-changing, saving crosswork of Jesus Christ. It's just a club. Lastly, maybe there has not been an intentional, at, there's not been growth because there's not been an intentional attitude of prayer by the leadership. Seeking God to do His work in the maturing process. I'm going to talk about that. Paul was a man passionately committed to evangelism. Yes, he was, after all, the, the, the apostle to the Gentiles. He evangelized the entire then-known world, shared the gospel wherever he, he went. But that didn't finish his work. He then planted churches, and he would teach them while he was there. And then he followed up with letters of instruction, followed up with letters of discipleship to those churches. We have many of those discipleship letters in what now comprises the New Testament. We are studying Paul's letters, and we are specifically looking at the discipleship letter called Colossians. And he's going to remind us of our new birth, yes, but then he's going to take us immeasurably beyond that. Because Christians aren't supposed to stay babies. Again, this letter a couple of weeks ago, he opened with this traditional salutation, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, Timothy, our brother, to the saints and, and, and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. From there, he fo- followed the letter-writing convention of his day, and he launched into a thanksgiving for his readers. And we saw last week that he was specifically thankful for the work of the gospel in their lives. We always thank God for you whenever we pray. Since we, since we heard about your faith in Jesus, which, which brought a love for all of the saints, and all that's built on the hope of the gospel, that hope that Epaphras shared with you. Now, still following the traditional letter, writing the typical letters of the day, he he prays for their health, but not for their physical health, doesn't pray for their material and financial health. Things that we, that they often prayed for back then in these kinds of letters, and frankly, things that we often pray for. No, He prays for their spiritual development. I want you to grow beyond your new birth because the Christian faith is meant to be a lifetime of learning, growing, and applying. A lifetime. You never get there. Look at the text with me. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and following says this. 
for this reason also, because of this gospel that I just celebrated, I just thank God for in your life. Since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. No period, take a breath. Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. No period. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wow. That is one long, very convoluted sentence in the Greek with lots of Christian words and Christian phrases. In fact, I suppose that a lot of you got brain freeze about halfway through that. I mean, if you want to impress your, your life group, friends, the next time that it's your turn to pray, memorize this prayer and pray it. That You'll wow them. This is a challenging, like, run-on sentence. Now, some of you will remember, take you back a few years, in high school, this thing called diagramming sentences. As I understand it, they don't really teach that anymore. That's a shame. In fact, some lady named Gertrude Stein said, I really do not know that anything has ever been more exciting than diagramming sentences. She was an author, American author, or moved to France. Good. <laughs> All right, that's pushing it a bit, but diagramming sentences is a way for us to get a visual picture of how this sentence fits together, and it can be helpful in understanding the sentence. In fact, I was going to diagram the preamble to the Constitution of the United States for you. I mean, I had it on PowerPoint and everything. I figured I'd kill you. So... I want to suggest, though, that this long sentence I just read should be diagrammed in order to understand it. I'm not going to draw all those lines and place everything where it's supposed to go. Some of you would develop cold chills. But I, but, I, but I do believe if we see the basic structure, it will help us to understand this very long, very important sentence, main part of the sentence, subject verb. We have not ceased. That's it. Subject verb. We have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. You take those six long verses, that's the main part of this sentence. It is a request. Paul is praying that you will be filled. Why? so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Then he goes on and says, this is how you walk in that worthy manner, by bearing fruit, by increasing, by being strengthened, that's more literal translation, and by giving thanks. Those are called participles. Now, each of those four participles contains a prepositional phrase. 
Are you with me? Bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, and giving thanks with joy. Okay? Then having said, we give thanks to the Father, Paul goes on to talk about the Father, why we give thanks. He just starts talking and keeps on going. I mean, this Father to whom we give thanks has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. How did He do that? Well, He rescued us from the domain of darkness, and He transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Then, having mentioned the Son, He can't stop there. He goes on to talk about Jesus. In this beloved Son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then that's going to launch Him into the most wonderful hymn about the person of Jesus, like one of the best in the Bible, next week. All of that put together then reveals this outline. It begins to make sense. We see the, the cause of our prayer, verse 9, the when we pray, what we pray, why we pray that, to what end are we praying, and to whom we pray. Oh, okay, I can understand that. And we pull it all together. Paul is saying, when I heard about the gospel, how the gospel had come to you, when I heard about your new birth, when I heard about your faith in Jesus, and, which produced a love for all of the saints, built on the hope of the gospel that Epaphras bought you, for this reason, I, uh, having heard that you're Christians, I am praying. It has been my constant, continual prayer that you will grow in your faith. I don't want you to be babies in Christ. I want you to grow toward maturity. So I ceaselessly pray to that end, that you will be filled with the knowledge of His will. Not so that you're smarter, my goodness. We have enough Christians who know what to do and don't do it. Don't need more of those. Most of us are educated beyond our obedience anyway. It's not what I want for you. I pray that you will be filled with the knowledge of His will so that you will walk in a manner Worthy of the Lord, learning and applying what you know. And that worthy manner looks a bit like this, bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, um, being strengthened with His power, and giving joy-filled thanks. I mean, how can we not? God has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of His Son, and this son has, this beloved son has given us redemption. This beloved son has given us forgiveness of sins. Then Paul will launch into a hymn um, that gives this unbelievable description of the son next week. So, I've just preached the message. But now let me work through the points a little bit more slowly to make a few more comments. First, point number one, the cause of our prayer. Again, Paul said, for this reason, since we heard of your faith in Jesus through the gospel, it has, that has caused us to pray for you because we don't want you to remain infants. We want you to be discipled and grow in your new faith. 
We want you to become more and more people of the gospel. And that takes me back to the reasons that so many people stay immature Christians. Remember reason number six? Is it possible, leaders, that we don't pray? I'm talking to leaders. Is it possible that we don't pray to this end? We should. Second, when we pray, ever since we heard of your new faith, the very day that Epaphras first brought us the news, but not only on that day, but since then, we have not ceased to pray for you. See, for Paul, it's not one and done. Will you pray with us about me? Sure. You pray on the way out the door and never do it again. No. For Paul, it was help the people of Alliance to mature. Help the people of Alliance to mature. You brought that to mind again. Help the people of Alliance. He prayed regularly. Whenever he prayed, this is what he asked for, which was point three. They were moving rather quickly. What did he pray for? That you may be filled. That you may be filled. I know this is a bit of an English lesson. Very important. You don't fill yourselves. This is not something you do. This is in the passive. It's a divine passive. We're not praying that you fill yourselves because you can't. We're praying that you will be filled by the Spirit of God Himself with the knowledge of His will. This, leaders, listen. This is a great prayer to pray for our people. Now, I'm talking to elders talking to deacons. I'm talking to life group leaders. I'm talking to people who work in kids zone and youth and Awali Oasis. We're, we're, we're quick to pray for the things that the world prays for, but I'm, I'm challenging us to pray this kind of prayer for the people that God has entrusted to our care. Pray for spiritual growth. Notice the spiritual nature of the prayer. Not that you be filled with wealth. Not that you be filled with stuff. Not that you even necessarily be filled with health, although we're told in other places that we can pray that. It's not what he prays for here. That you will be filled with all, of the, all that the world is pursuing? No. We pray that God Himself will fill you with the knowledge of His will. Okay, what's that mean? Well, most commentators agree that this is not talking about God's individual will for your life, right? Everybody wants to know that. Turn left, turn right, open this door, close that door, jump through that window. You know, if you could just give me some arrows. It's not what he's talking about. The knowledge of His will made available to you by the Spirit-directed knowledge of the Word of God. The knowledge of His will is to be found in the gospel through the work of His Son. One author said it this way, I love this, what Paul has in mind is not some particular direction for one's life, but a deep and abiding understanding of the revelation of Christ and what Christ means to the universe and to the people of Alliance. That's what I want for us. Notice, in all spiritual wisdom and all spiritual understanding, it applies to both. Paul's desire is that they and we grow in the knowledge of God through His Word, resulting in increased spiritual wisdom. 
increased understanding. Isn't that what you expect from your children? It's what we should expect of each other. Increased wisdom, increased knowledge, increased in a way, but not so that we could just be the really smart Bible answer man. We have tons of really smart Bible answer men running around. Don't need any more of them. What we need are people who are learning and applying, because if you learn without applying, it is ultimately meaningless. So Paul goes on. So what I want you to increase in the knowledge of God's wills so that, purpose clause, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I want what you learn to affect, to affect the way that you live. Should sound somewhat familiar. Theme, we just finished Philippians. Theme verse of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. It says the same thing here. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Lord. I don't want you to remain infants. I want you to walk in a manner worthy that will be, notice, pleasing to Him in all respects. Whoa. Well, stop right there. Some of you aren't going to like this. Have you ever thought that the way that you live your life, and I'm not talking about salvation, I'm not talking about salvation, okay? I'm talking about people who are truly followers of Christ. Have you ever stopped to think that the way that you live your life is either pleasing or displeasing to the Lord? It is. Wow. But Paul prayed, and we should pray for one another, that God will do His work in us, divine passive, He's doing the work, so that we are filled with the knowledge of His will, so that we can walk in a worthy and pleasing way. You can do this by the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit. What does that worthy walk look like? Four participles? with prepositional phrases to describe the walk. First, bearing fruit in every good work. Paul used a similar phrase back in verse 6 to talk about the work of the gospel. The gospel was bearing fruit in you, Colossians, not only in Colossians, but around the world as well. Now he says, he wants to make clear that since we have become followers of Christ, we are to walk in a worthy manner by ourselves, producing fruit or bearing fruit in every good work. Believers are supposed to be bearing fruit. Believers are supposed to do good works. I mean, I may, again, let me be very clear. We don't do good, do good works to be saved, but we do good works because we have been saved. Listen, our fundamental nature has been changed from selfish, self-centeredness to a God-exalting other's centeredness. So here's the question. How much of what you do is for you and how much of what you do is for others? Good works. That's what we're saying. God prepared them advance in advance for us to do them. James even takes it a little bit further. It's not quite as nice. If you don't do good works, your faith is dead. It's lifeless. It's not there. 
Because Christians bear fruit. Second, as followers of Christ seeking to please Him, we are increasing in the knowledge of God. Remember, knowledge is not knowledge for knowledge's sake, but it is nonetheless knowledge. As believers, Peter said, remember that verse we read earlier, that we are to long for, we are to crave pure milk of the Word of God so that by it we can grow. Knowledge is not the end, but it is an indispensable means to the end. You cannot grow in your faith without knowledge of God. So, let me say this gently. Let me say this gently. But there is no virtue in being an ignorant Christian. Hear that run around every once in a while. Oh, I'm just... I just don't know that much. I'm just kind of it. No. Here's that. Oh, I don't get bound up. I don't get hot and bothered about things like doctrine. You should, because doctrine comes from the Bible, and we should seek to be students of the Bible so that we can increase in our knowledge of God. If you don't know more than you the day that you were saved. That's a problem. By the way, notice the number of references to knowledge at this point. I pray that you will be filled with knowledge, filled with all wisdom, filled with all understanding. Now he says that a worthy walk is one marked by the knowledge of God. Most feel that Paul already is taking little jabs at these false teachers who are running around saying, hey, we've got some knowledge for you. If you want to be filled to fullness, that's another key word, fullness, then, then you need to know what we know. And he's going to tell him in chapter 2, don't be captured by that empty philosophy. You've got everything that you need in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, my prayer for you is that you be filled up with the knowledge of God through the Word of God. You've got what you need, all that you need. Third, third participle. And don't miss the very important nuance here. We are, those who are, are growing are marked by being strengthened. That's a more literal translation, and it is, again, a divine passive. We are not strengthening ourselves. We are not doing any of this in our own strength. We are being strengthened to do these things by the Spirit of God. We are being strengthened by God Himself to accomplish everything that He's talking about here with all power. That is, having all of the power that you need to accomplish God's purpose. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like you just, I mean, you just can't do it? You've tried this Christian stuff, and it's, and it's just not working. You don't have what it takes to live the Christian life. Well, I got news for you. You don't. But God does. And He has given you all power to do what He wants you to do. Because now listen, this is really good. What God demands, God enables. Notice this power is according to His glorious might. It could be translated the might of of His glory. Paul is pouring out word after word to overwhelm us with the magnitude of God's work on our behalf. 
We don't work in our own strength. We work in the strength of the might of His glory. The word glory itself speaks of weight. It's a a weightiness. We are weighed down with the mighty power of His presence. We throw that word glory and glorious around way too much. I agree with the one who suggests that we use that word too easily. We speak of things like a glorious sunset. It is not glorious unless it is reflecting the glory of God. There's only one thing, one person who is glorious. It's God. The word glory in the Scripture refers to Him and things reflecting His glory. The, the, the word glory in the New Testament is used, half of the time that it's used in the New Testament, it's used in doxologies to speak of the great glory of our great God. He's awesome. He's glorious. Words mean something. Use them rightly. Paul adds, for the attaining of all steadfastness and all patience. Don't miss the superlatives that Paul is using throughout this passage. All spiritual wisdom, all spiritual understanding to please Him in every respect, bearing fruit in every good work, strengthened with all power for the attainment of all endurance and all patience. Paul has some rather significant goals for us in his prayer, doesn't he? And we can do it by the indwelling presence and power of the Spirit of God. Endurance and patience look a bit similar. There may be a little difference in nuance. All endurance may refer to having the ability to stand firm in your faith when opposed. God gives you what you need to stand firm in your faith. And listen, I think given the political and moral climate of our country that we're going to need more and more endurance, that more and more people are going to oppose the Christian faith. Just look at the news. Have you ever read a book about brothers and sisters and the way that they're suffering around the world? I have recently. It's called The Insanity of God. And I, and I read that book, and I just came away going, how, how do they do that? How do they remain faithful in the midst of such deep, painful persecution and opposition? Here's how. God has given them everything that they need to stand, and He's given the same thing to you. Patience, little different idea, probably instead of just enduring persecution, it's also patient with the ones who are opposing you. The word patience is the same word that's used in the fruit of the Spirit. You need Him to do it through you. Fourth, people who are walking worthy, pleasing to God, are giving thanks with joy to the Father. That's amazing that he follows. He talks about endurance and patience, which kind of implies persecution and opposition. You know, remember, he's writing from prison, opposition and persecution, and now he says that that, that maturing people are are, are patient people and and they're thankful people. What? Thankful people are humble, praise filled, worshiping people, not griping and complaining people. They realize that they are who they are because of the grace of God through Christ in their lives and the outer circumstances don't matter. Joy-filled thanks. Notice it's expressed to the Father. Because this Father 
has qualified us to share in the inheritance. Share inheritance, kind of similar words. Of the saints in light. Once again, we see it's not our work. It's the work of the Father. He's the one who has qualified us. He's the one who by His grace has given us what we need to actually share in the inheritance. You ever get excited about what you're going to get? I know, I know, that requires death. What, what you're going to get in an inheritance? Do you understand when the word inheritance speaks of something future, that God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of a, the future fullness of the kingdom that He has waiting for you? How did He do that? How, how did he do that? Um, first, he rescued us from the domain of darkness. We were firmly entrenched in the, in, the, in the rule and in the deeds of darkness. We were by nature sinful, wrath-filled people. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm just going to put it on the screen for you to be reminded. That. I won't take the time to read it. We were firmly in the domain of darkness, but He rescued us. Not only that, He transferred us out of that domain into a new kingdom. It's a kingdom of light from darkness. He's called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. It's in the the reign of His beloved Son. Hallelujah. His beloved Son. And at this point, Having mentioned Son, Paul begins to transition to this great hymn about Jesus that we will, Lord willing, look at over the next few months. For now, we with Paul will transition to the work of Christ as we prepare to remember that in communion.